Welcome one, welcome all to the Pendulum Podcast. This is episode four. The Pendulum Podcast is an open exchange of information and ideas intended for professionals in the right-of-way industry. This podcast is for anybody interested in the infrastructure that supports our standard of living. This includes everything from roads to rails to trails to power to pipelines and parks, libraries and public places, and all the amenities that we enjoy. You may also be interested in our discussions if you've been affected or displaced by those types of projects, whether through relocation or eminent domain, or if you simply appreciate the amenities of the modern world. Today's podcast is sponsored by Pendulum Land Services, LLC, a full-service right-of-way acquisition firm managed by industry experts who are dedicated to the integrity of the right-of-way process. Visit them at www.pendulumland.com. With us today, our regular crew, Kristen Bennett from Tejas. hey And Ross Green, an eminent domain attorney from Virginia. I'm not saying hey And I don't know whether this is a good development or a bad development, but we have a representative from our sponsor, Pendulum Land Services, with us for the second week in a row, Carrie Lynn Hirsch. I want to think that she's here because she enjoyed last week's podcast so much, and I hope it's not like an IRS auditor coming back for a second week. Carrie Lynn? We'll have to wait and see. Okay, we'll, <laughs> we'll wait and see. Okay, so this week our discussion is, drum roll please, how do we explain what we do to the outside world? That means those of us in the right-of-way industry have a bit of a story to tell and there's not a lot of commonality with the outside world. And how do we explain to folks outside of industry, what do we do? Now, the fact of the matter is that eminent domain is part of the right-of-way industry. And as we discussed in the first episode, uh, eminent domain can be a four-letter word. It's not a real popular thing in the United States. Those of us who are attorneys for the condemning authority, our job is to hit the bullseye. Our job is to make sure or do our best to make sure that a jury awards just compensation. We're not insurance defense lawyers. It's to hit the bullseye. Landowner lawyers, they'll use every tool in the book to get as big of an award as they can. And they don't mind casting us in a negative light. And frequently, there are a lot of people who agree with their point of view. So let's start with Kristen. Let's talk about the intricacies of the Relocation Act and the need for specialization. And exactly how do you explain that to like your friends and family? Do, like, do your parents understand what you do? Oh, you know, I think over time they've started to understand it a little more. It's so specialized, though. And I, I think I've mentioned in a previous episode that sometimes when I talk about relocation, people think I'm, I work for a moving company, um, which is not the case at all. Everything, everything that I do is based on the Uniform Relocation Assistance and Real Properties Acquisition Act of 1970, as amended, as well as other, you know, the regulations that accompany that and state laws. And there's a lot of rules in regards to relocation and how we handle that. And everything with relocation is a, it's a reimbursement program for someone, anybody who has stuff, they have personal property, either in the right-of-way or on the remainder, that has to move as a result of our project, of our acquisition. And it could be a partial acquisition, a whole take. But if you've got stuff and it's got to go, then that's where, I, that's where I show up. That's where me and my relocation buddies show up. Um, and we make sure that the people who are having to move their stuff get the benefits that are due to them. And I, I often think of myself, and I try to explain this um, to people that are curious, that I'm, I'm not... 
I'm not there. I'm not the agency. I'm not the displacing agency or the condemning authority. I'm not there as a representative of the displaced person. I'm kind of a liaison between the two. And in fact, I really am there to represent the Uniform Act, to make sure that everybody's following the rules, that the displacee is getting every penny due to them, but not a penny more because it is a spend to get it reimbursement program. And that's kind of how I explain it generally. But when people just kind of have a broad idea of what I do, there's some negative things. I hear people say like, oh, well, you you kick old people out of their houses or you shut down small businesses. That's a little unfair. I think that's a little harsh because what I, the, the, I'm not the one that's, I'm not kicking anybody out of their house. I'm not shutting anybody's business down. I'm making sure that we're making it as painless as possible. And it's not going to be painless, but I do have some money available for them that's separate from any kind of acquisition money. So that's what I do. So I'm familiar with the regs and the laws, but how in the world would you ever explain that to somebody? Just well, just somebody who's outside of outside of the right-of-way world. Well, I'd explain it differently, I guess, depending on who it is. If it's my parents that are asking, that's one thing. If it's somebody who's being displaced and they want to know what they're going to get, I might explain it differently. But just to the layperson that goes, what do you do for a living? You know what I usually say? You know what my elevator answer is? What do you do for a living? I usually say I'm a consultant. And they can assume whatever they want. They can That's think, a great elevator pitch. That I is, bet you get a lot of clients no, that way. No, I'm not trying to get clients. This is when somebody asks me that's not a potential client, that's not in the industry. What do you do for a living? And they're maybe trying to be nice. Maybe they really want to know. I say a consultant. And you know what? They may in their head think, oh, she sells Mary Kay. She's a Mary Kay consultant. And that's fine. If they really want to know what I do and they ask more about it, I'll say, well, in the real estate, kind of in the real estate industry. And then if they really want to know, oh, yeah. And, but I, I feel like it's kind of... I don't want to be the gal at a cocktail party when they're like, what do you do? And I'm like, have you heard of the Uniform Act? An eminent <laughs> domain? Let's, t- well, let's go down that rabbit drink. hole. Yeah, so I, it's kind of a little much to just like pour all that onto somebody when they're just trying to make small talk. So if somebody says, what do you do for a living? A lot of times I say, I'm in real estate, or I'll say, I'm a consultant. And if they really want to know and they ask questions, man, you guys know after hearing me on these podcasts, I love to talk about what I do, and I love to talk about relocation. I also love to not make people throw up in their mouths because I'm yammering on and on it's and on. It's okay. I swallowed it back. Okay, good. Okay. Okay. So I, that, that's kind of what I what I say. What do you do? I'm a consultant. What do you do? I'm in real estate. If you really want to know what I do, I'll tell you. I help people who have to move their stuff because they're on a piece of property that is being condemned. Right. Well, Ross, you've been practicing right-of-way law for 13 years plus. Well, it is a finely uh, detailed area of the law if you're on the condemning authority side of the equation because the condemning authority has various statutory powers that you know are how it does what it does. People from the exterior don't see that. They see, well, you're stealing our land and you know assume that somehow that just happens because somebody wants it to happen instead of essentially a very long process of statutorily mandated actions that have to occur in a certain way. And in representing the condemning authority, we make sure they go through that process. I mean, I'm a firm believer that ultimately the outcome has to be just compensation, which is just to both the landowner and to the taxpayer. Our goal is to ensure that they receive the amount of compensation that they're supposed to receive, which is fair market value for their property, and that the government pays fair market value, and not more because the taxpayer doesn't need to be funding some lawyer's retirement fund or real estate investments. They're supposed to pay fair market value to the landowner. So that's what we insure. 
So each of us work for condemning authorities. That means we work for the agencies uh, that acquire the property and have the power of eminent domain. For instance, Ross and I uh, made the decision many years ago that we just we're not going to represent landowner interests. We're going to specialize in the interests and the procedures of the condemning authorities. And that's not always real popular. That's, that's not always real popular with it, cocktail parties. Uh, it's not always popular with family members. A lot of people have been touched or are affected by eminent domain, and sometimes they don't like us a whole lot. And that's kind of the point of the episode is like, how do we explain what we do to the outside world? Well, and that's something we touched on a, a couple of episodes ago when we were talking about this being the hidden industry. And that's something, like if we're at a cocktail party and somebody really is interested in what I do, if I say I'm, I'm involved in a right-of-way imminent domain, it's like, and then nobody wants to talk to me. But you know, <laughs> yes, I get booed out. I get booed out. But you know, what we talked about earlier is like kind of your intro to that episode. You know, who doesn't like turning on their faucet and getting clean water and being able to flush their toilet and having electricity and having a road to drive on and having internet. I mean, there's having a telephone, whatever it is. So sometimes I lead with that. Like, you know, I, I try to change people's minds about, you know, we talked about, is this good or evil? Are we the bad guys? Are we the good guys? We're the freaking good guys. We've always been the good guys. If we want to live in a modern society in a civilized society, like th- we, we need those things. And for those things to happen, our services are needed. So sometimes I sort of lead with that if I'm trying to really explain what I do and not be the bad guy. Because I don't, I don't believe I'm the bad guy. I wouldn't sleep at night if I thought I were the bad guy. Yeah, that, that's, a great, that's a great comment and a great thought. Uh, so what do you do, Dave? Well, uh, Joe, do you like sitting in traffic? Why I don't. Well, I try to keep you from sitting in traffic. That's why I represent the highway department. Yeah. That doesn't work very often. No, maybe not. But it's a start. It's a start. Yeah, it all depends on your perspective. Like, from my standpoint, the rebels in Star Wars are terrorists. Okay. The, St- now, what? what? <laughs> the, Star, just move on. Star the, Wars. Are the rebels, is that like Leia and Luke? Mm-hmm. Those are the rebels? Yeah. What is the other guys? The, ba- the Force? The Force is the good guys. I thought those things that drove those little planes that weren't in an X, you know... The X-planes are the, go- they're the bad good guys. guys. No, the X-planes are the good guys. The ones that look like squares are the Can bad guys. Can you tell guys. that... Oh, Some of these God. things are not like the other, and we don't all really. Do, do you get know into the Star last Wars? time I saw a Star Wars movie would have been 1977. <laughs> last Star Wars movie I saw was in a theater. Was in a theater, yeah. As a child. Okay, hold on. Because everybody was talking in 77, everybody's like, Star Wars, you got to see Star Wars. If you haven't seen Star Wars, you're stupid. So I, my mom took me to see Star Wars, and I was like, what? Exactly. Pew, Why? pew, pew, pew. I, I didn't get it. But apparently, yeah, it's, it's a way of life. Yeah, that's it. It's a way of life, and for some people, my nope. kids really like it. So I've I've seen I've seen several Star Wars movies, but I still get a little confused. So the who did you say? Okay, so the rebels are ostensibly the good guys in Star. The Wars. rebels, which is the Force. No, the Force is the mystical energy used by Jedi. Okay, but so Jedi are good guys. Sometimes. Oh boy. Who's Darth Vader's the bad? He's he's Luke's father. I do know that. I'm your father. He's the yes. He's the primary bad guy. Well, why does he wear a black? What are the mask? bad guys called? What, why the, the heavy empire? breathing? The Empire. You've got an you you two have missed an entire two trilogies after like the first trilogy that explain all these questions because I quit watching. Wait wait wait. Was it a trilogy? Yes. 
The first one was episode four, which er, right, which always confused me. Episode seven, five. What's the first one? The first one that came out like Star in the seventies. Yes, four. That's the one I saw. Why did it start with, with Star Wars? Four? Why did it yeah, start with in nineteen seventy-seven? I saw Star Wars. And that was enough that for was me. It. That was enough for me. Nothing beyond because that. there were three Mark movies before that. But they didn't exist when that at one the time. Came out. But they've since been made. They explain things like why is he in a suit. Can and you just tell us? what's with all the yeah, heavy breathing? Yeah, because he's like, no, because I know this. His like legs melted off in lava or something. Yes. Okay. okay. So you're at least no. More listen, up to listen. Date than My family two. members like Star Wars. I don't tell them this, but I don't really particularly care for it. But I've sat through some of the movies, and what happens is sometimes like I'll sit through it and I don't really watch it, and I'll be like, why is that guy's legs? Why are his legs on fire? And I like then I'll be like then I ask I'm the annoying one who doesn't pay attention. And I'm like, who's that? And why are his legs burning off? And they're like. You dumb dumb. That's the guy that's going to be Darth Vader. This guy. It, it takes three <laughs> movies to get to that point. Like it's not like you can't just sum it up in one sentence about hey, why are his legs burned off? It took three whole movies to get there. Why? I don't have time to watch the three movies, and I don't care enough. I just wanted to know why his legs were burning off. In essence, he decides that the political leanings of the people he's associated with are not the ones he wants to follow at that point. So, <laughs> you tried to make me sum up three movies in one sentence. Fair, So, fair. Uh, I got a question. Yeah. Let's play Hot or Not. Okay. Hot or Not, Princess Leah. Hot? Yeah, super hot. Carrie Lynn? I don't know. She had snail shells yeah. on the side of her head. I never. Yeah, but she was really pretty. She was a really pretty, pretty woman, even pretty when she was old. Thing. No, this hot is hot or not, not pretty or not pretty. Yeah, I, I don't think. No. Oh, hot or not? not. Well, I'd say she was pretty. She was pretty. Hot or not, Han Solo. Hot. Which one is that? Harrison Ford. No. Oh, hot. Yes. Was he? Absolutely. Bloody If anybody listens to this that's a big Star Wars fan, they're going to be like, Ross Green for president. The rest of you can burn in hell. Your legs can burn <laughs> off in the lava. Now I can't um, remember who the Han Solo, If Han were. Solo is Harrison Ford, hot. Yes. Okay. Yes. Well, who was the other guy? Luke Skywalker. Mark I even him. know this. Yes. Oh, him. Yeah. Mark Hamill. Not. Wah, wah. No. Mark nah. Hamill is a good dude, but I'm not really cute. classifying him as sex symbol. Although he was in a, like... His only other major movie after that was a really sexy movie called like something Corv. What was that? Corvette Summer? Yeah, was he in that. Corvette yes, Summer? Yes, he's the leading Corvette. Do y'all just Summer. like string words together and say they were a movie? What is what? <laughs> Corvette Summer. Yeah, Corvette Summer was a movie. He's gonna look it up on IMDb, no doubt. I get one more hot. Or I not brought from, it up. Okay. One more hot or not from Star Wars. Okay. Chewbacca the Wookie. He's adorable. I don't oh think boy. he's hot, but he's real cute. Oh boy, was from was from Endor. Therefore, you must acquit. I don't no. know what those words mean. What? I think Sadly, I, I'm going to say the Wookiee is not ass. not hot, but he's pretty cute. Have you ever, Okay. <laughs> That's not um, what he sounds like at all. Hot, because I'm not going to have a, a gendered or humanist discussion about here. this also hot. But have you never heard the Chewbacca defense? No. Chewbacca was a Wookiee. Therefore, you must acquit. It, it's, oh God, look no, at this. No, this is really a thing. This is really a thing? Yeah, it's a South Park episode riffing off of uh, Johnny Cochran's the, OJ the defense. The glove of Yeah, and he's like, he's, he, he, they hire him in South Park, and he's like, Chewbacca was a Wookiee. Yeah, and, and that's basically, <laughs> like, it's just a complete, it, it's actually real to me in law practice now because you see people in law practice whose case makes no sense. I mean, they lead with something, and there's no logic in it. There's no it's the if equivalent then. of yeah. It really does exist. You you'll see them put on a case 
We had a case one time where they never proved causation. They didn't put on a single iota of evidence about how you got from point A to point B. It's like, this happened, we were hurt, this person should pay, nothing about why. Like no connecting thread between Went any of all that. the way through the trial, put on all the evidence, nothing about why. <laughs> we get the case thrown out completely because they never put on a single lick of evidence about why. It was like, what are you doing? It's, How do you have a this law happened, degree? I just want more money. Yes. Yes. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. My client was hurt. This person's rich. Give this person's money to my client. Never mind the I fact that they weren't, they weren't even in the same country <laughs> at the same time. Yeah. Wow. Well, thank you for that uh, walk through the the Star Wars world. That was very fascinating. That's five minutes of my life I'll never get back. Kristen, explain um, how you displace people. And, um, you know, there's got to be some negative connotations which go with that. Like, like uh, even if you're helping them, I mean, it's still their business well, me, or it's their home. Something. And it's different. With, with, a, with a residential relocation, we're able to provide a supplement in many cases. And I'm gonna give you a really, really simple example. So let's say I come, and I'm gonna do numbers that I can do the math on real easily. Let's say I come and I make an offer to buy your house for $100,000, and you've got a three bedroom, two bath house, and it's a thousand square feet. I'm gonna go out on the market, and I gotta find something that's available to you within your financial means that's comparable. It's as good or better in terms of age, quality, condition, size, okay? And it's got to be functionally equivalent. It has to accommodate the stuff that you're going to move from your current house to your new place. So I'm going to go out on the market and I'm going to find that. And let's say I find a, I find something that's pretty darn comparable. It's a little newer. It's a little nicer. It has the same number of bedrooms. It has at least as, as much square footage. And it's on the market for $125,000. Well, that's great. I can say, hey, Dave. I know you have to move, sorry about you. And here we gave you this $100,000. Here's this house on the market for $125,000. We think this would be a good comparable for you. We didn't give you enough money in the acquisition to enable you to purchase something comparable because we looked on the market and that's what we found. So in that case, you would get your acquisition money, the $100,000, you're gonna get that, you still get that. Here it is, here's your $100,000. If you purchase and occupy something that costs $125,000 or more, me as the relocation agent and my new bucket of money, the relocation bucket of money, I've got $25,000 for you that I, that, that what? Can, yes, it's a Nobody supplement. Nobody hears anything about that. They don't, they don't know that. They think that I just, I'm the one that knocks on the door and says, you've got to move time to go. And that's true. I do tell them when it's time to move, but I also say, Hey there, Hey there, Mr. Arnold, you have to move. We gave you a hundred thousand dollars for your house. You can't buy something comparable with that hundred thousand dollars. So I've got this $25,000 supplement. And there's some little complexities with that. Like if you bought, if you went, I don't like that comparable, I'm gonna buy this one and it's $150,000, you can do that. But your 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 supplement from me would be maxed out at the, at the 25,000 because we found a comparable available for $125,000. Conversely, if you go, hey, I found one on the market I like better and it's 110,000, that's fine. You're gonna get $10,000 of a supplement. So you're you're basically like Santa Claus, but without quite as full of beard. Well, sort okay, uh, not as full of beard. <laughs> Close. Do some, maybe I have some peach fuzz. I'm not a little self conscious now. Uh, so, sort of. But with a with a residential, here's the deal. So you you have the option for the supplement, and and 
I, by and large, if you were, I've said, I wish a highway would go through my house. Cause I, I, I see people get these checks and get to go buy houses that are a little above what they were able to afford before. And it's not, a, it's not always a, a bad deal for a residential displacee. They don't want to move. They haven't chosen to move. So I'm not trying to sugarcoat it, but they do end up sometimes in a better situation as far as the condition of a place that they live in. Because you know what else I have to do? If you're a resident, you have to, in order for me to choose a comparable for you, it has to be decent, safe, and sanitary. Typically, we default to local codes. Sometimes those don't exist or are not very strict, but basically it's got to have the right amount of square footage and the right space to accommodate your family. It can't have like a leaking roof. It's got to have safe ingress and egress and connection to utilities. So if you live in a, if you live in a trailer with busted out windows, no heating, and you know, your electricity is not hooked up, and you have a, a two-bedroom trailer house, I have to find you something that's two bedrooms that is decent, safe, and sanitary, even if the thing you lived in wasn't. And with no bugs. And with no bugs. So we may have appraised that and said, hey, your, your mobile home is not movable. We're going to give you $10,000 for this mobile home. And there's not one on the market, so we may be looking at a house in that case. You so, could get a massive supplement. So a, a lot of times it works out really well. Thank you, Chris Kringle. Um, Ross, yes. how about... Um, the negative connotations within the legal practice. Everybody thinks the empire is evil. Everybody thinks. Oh, you know, and we're back to Star Wars. What? It's the same thing. Everybody thinks. Everybody thinks is a massive generalization, but publicly, there's a lot of negative connotation towards eminent domain and the people that carry out eminent domain. You don't really find any uh, media representations of people doing government side eminent domain work as a. Uh, as a positive, as actually being helpful, when the reality is you can't do the work without doing this. You've got to acquire land, and sometimes people don't want to transfer the land voluntarily to do the project. But the projects we're doing, we're doing projects that are for the public benefit that there's no question about. It's not a development thing. It's highways, power lines, pipelines, roads, you know, things that people need in order to live their life. They just don't want to have it happen to them individually. Um, so there's a lot of negative press. I mean, I've talked before about where I think a lot of the negative press comes from and what the motivations are behind that, which aren't, uh, I think, directly what people think they are. Generally, on our side, we don't do press appearances or talk about what we're doing. The project itself does that. It has public hearings and votes and laws that effectuate it and make it happen and appropriate the money for it. It's all the operation of the government, so it's all visible anyway. We don't go around talking about it, but pretty much everything we do, you can see us doing. Um, I mean, aside from the attorney-client privilege aspects of representing our client, but a lot of it is just public record. I mean, when we do have an eminent domain suit, there's a lawsuit. It happens. And they go on the news and say, well, they're stealing our land. I'm like, there is a pending lawsuit in which we've applied, you know, to you know, to use the power of eminent domain to which you've responded and we're engaged in a case about determining what the value actually is for the property and which evidence will be put on It'll go on in front of a jury or at least in Virginia, terrifyingly, in front of a small panel that may or may not include the landowner's best friends, business buddies, golf partners. And if that sounds <laughs> wrong to you and you don't believe me, feel free to look it up. Uh, you can see it on the blog over at rightofway.law as far as 
having your friends and business acquaintances determine what a just amount of compensation for you is when the government takes your land. So trust me, we're not stealing anything. That's a great point. Let's amplify one thing here. So when you get to an eminent domain trial, there's only one issue before the jury, and that's how big is the check going to be. So we're all we're doing is is arguing about money. Yeah, essentially all we're doing is presenting evidence of just compensation and fair market value. So what we're putting on is appraisal testimony, evidence of comparable sales, business data and the like, as opposed to people getting up and testifying about how much it's worth to them personally, which at least in Virginia and North Carolina, black letter is not the standard for but, you know, what the value is. It's fair market, not this, what it's worth to you. This is the problem with our reputation as people who work on that side of things is that everybody gets so riled up about we're not doing right by Joe. We haven't given enough, enough money. And so we're going to fight this and we're going to get him more money. More, and everybody's like on Joe's side. The public is like, yeah, Joe. You even mentioned that you guys aren't even allowed to say this is taxpayer money, right? Yeah. I mean, in the, in the jury trial, at least in Virginia, the other side regularly argues that we're not allowed to mention that. So while they constantly flout the standing jury instruction that the, you know, essentially your verdict isn't supposed to be about sympathy, well, if it isn't about sympathy, why you have the landowner up there crying and going on and on and on about how it's their fifth generation? And you're not property. allowed to point out the obvious, which is that it's tax. So we may all be worried about Joe, but like, what if we're all worried about Joe and everybody, everybody, we're all paying for it. Nobody. That is the don't, reality. They don't understand that. Yeah, no, we're all overpaying in this process because everybody thinks, you know, due to the essentially monetary motivations of the bar representing that side that somehow there's something going on and due to some actions of some other states, which are not the best, um, that things are going on in Virginia and North Carolina that just aren't going on. Quick show of hands. Who likes paying higher taxes? Right. Nobody. Except, do you have to pay money for things? Yeah. Do you get things for free? No. Does the government get things for free? Even less free than what you think of as a private citizen. The government pays more for things than they're actually worth. Right. Well, there, there is a sentiment that there should be a premium or a windfall associated with the acquisition of involuntary acquisition of property. There is a sentiment out there that says, hey, and I think they've tried to, to reduce this to legislation before, hey, just compensation will be the fair market value of the property plus some. Yeah, and there are states where that's actually the law. It's you can get the assessed value plus a percentage or the award is the determined amount plus a percentage, you know, to take into account in a controlled fashion that the transfer is involuntary. But that's significantly different than putting on what should be inadmissible evidence or what is clearly just made up in order to try to jack up the verdict, um, for, you know, because it's just not fair to the taxpayer. Everybody's paying for that piece of parcel, you know, for that piece of property. So it's got to be fair to both the people paying for it, which is everybody, and the person whose property is being acquired. I mean, there's there's a fairness quotient, you know, to both sides of that. And obviously, as attorneys, you have a duty to your client. So the attorneys on the other side view this as they're zealously advocating for their side, you know, 
I suspect there are plenty of them that could take into account that they have duties to society beyond just their own pocketbook and the client that they're currently representing. But, you know, who thinks about anything like that in America these days? Carrie Lynn. Uh, title? Nasty, hairy title reports? Horror stories? Bad's closings gone awry? One of the things I think that's interesting is that um, what Ross was mentioning earlier, people in the early part of the process, though, they, they think that if they say no, they can stop the whole project. Really? They, they think, if, like, if I just don't agree to sell it to you, then you can't build that road. Just, no, thank you. Yeah, just, no, I don't, I don't want to do this. So that, that's one hurdle that has to be overcome early on. Um, but I do think that is what causes a lot of people to reject offers uh, early in the process. Um, as far as the, the title reports, you know, were ones that are handwritten, the ones where the courthouse is burned down 14 times, and the one where you have to go to the property and they'll tell you that Aunt Mabel said that Cousin Joe could have that corner lot and you have to just keep keep digging and sorting and kind of piece it together and then sign your name to it and hope and pray that you're, um, that you're right at the end and that you're making the offer to the right person and then you make the offer to the person and then 25 people show up and say, wait a minute, Aunt Sally told me that I could have it. Um, and and just trying to sort through all of that. Generally speaking, once we get to uh, an actual closing where the people have, have finally gotten to agree to it, um, they generally will still come in and hem and haw about how they don't want this project to go forward, but at that point they're, they're usually pretty uh, amicable. Because they want the money, right? Correct. They want the money. Yeah, but we still can't get away from the fact that, that people on our side are regularly painted as the bad guys, and that's, that's by design, and that's okay, and we know why that's done. You know, a lot of people, a lot of people um, buy into that. I've had extended family members who are incredulous that I would do what I do. So how, how, how do we explain what we do at a cocktail party without being asked to leave? Or do we just leave? Thank you for inviting me. I have to go now. I don't like your whore divorce anyway. <laughs> Words divorce. Uh, you know, I if somebody really is interested, I, I you know I've got a couple little things I'll say if somebody's really interested in what I do. But if somebody's like, "Wow, that's interesting. I didn't know that existed." I I have some. There's just a handful of stories where I'm able to look back, and I've focused a lot on residential today. Business is a different story, and that that's a lot. Uh, tougher pill to swallow if you're a displaced business because you don't get a supplement in that case. And I'm sure we'll talk about that more in a later episode. But um, I've had so many situations with residential where I've, you know, my favorite one that I love to, when people are questioning, like, what are you doing? Oh, that's weird. Or if somebody says something rude to me, like, how do you sleep at night? And I'm like, oh boy, how do you sleep at night? You sleep at night with your air conditioner on because of what we've done in this industry. You're welcome. Whoa. But anyway, was, I'm sorry, was that too harsh? No. Okay. That's really? a great point. I, but if somebody, if somebody is being... Uh, negative about it in some way. I'd, I'll tell I'll tell one of my stories if they're interested. And you know, like for instance, I had a guy who was on Section Eight housing, and he was in a wheelchair. Wheelchair. He was uh, he had cerebral palsy, couldn't hardly communicate verbally at all. He was a college professor. He taught online classes, and he would type with his elbows. Uh, it, it, this guy was incredible, wow. and he he was in a house that was really really unsafe for him. And at the end of it, 
It's a long story that I would tell anybody ever over a drink. It's a great story, but bottom line is at the end of it, he ended up being a homeowner. Uh, he owned a house free and clear and that was uh, wheelchair accessible. It had every, every room was accessible to him and had lowered kitchen countertops, all, all the ramps, all the stuff. And that changed his life forever. And that was never, he was never going to have that. He was never going to have that until we came along. And yeah, we made him move out of his house. But for that guy, there are, there are a lot of cases where it's like, God, that, like, this changed that guy's life forever. And that's not the, I can, I could, I could write a book on, on times when I've left a situation and gone, you know what, that's it. That, these people are in a better situation. And that's not counting like, oh, this project happened, and so this community's in better shape. I'm talking about the people on the project when you go at the, at the, on the other end. I, I often say I sometimes show up and people, I'm afraid they're going to pull a shotgun on me, and they're like, get off of my porch. And by the end of it, when we're done, they're like, would you like to come to our Thanksgiving dinner? That sort of thing happens when you do what I do. So. Yeah. yeah, I guess I've only had them threaten to shoot me, what, like three times at this point? But that had nothing to do with your taking their land. Yes, it did. <laughs> this is debatable. <laughs> I mean, it could have just been me, but I don't think so. I think it was the uh, pending eminent domain suit that uh, was yeah. more the threatened to shoot you than the uh, than the fact that I'm an attorney. Although that's bad enough because you walk into a cocktail party and you're like, I'm an attorney, and you see their mild look of disgust. And then they're like, if they don't immediately lead in with some lawyer joke that involves a bunch of dead lawyers, then the default question is, what do you do for, you know, well, what kind of law? It's literally the, def like, absolute default question 99. I'm a lawyer. What kind of law? It's like, why does it matter? Because they want to be like, are you a good one or a bad one? Are you the, are you, are you the I am a bad Jedi witch. force people yeah. or the bad, the burning legs and the lava people? The Sith. That's what they're called, the okay. Sith. Okay. The Sith. Yes, the Sith. And the good guys are the rebels? I insist that the entire like dichotomy is neutral and calling them good or bad is, you know, a value judgment. Yeah, because you're a lawyer and you don't like it when people do that when you say you're an eminent domain attorney. It's the same concept. <laughs> you know, the, look, here's the fact of the matter. The right-of-way industry uh, has great power and the laws confer great powers over the, con they confer great powers to, to the condemning authorities. And there's, there's no doubt about that. And with great power comes great responsibility. And I think, Kristen, you've demonstrated what it means to wield that power responsibly and in a way that helps people. We're helping society by helping build these infrastructure projects, but even at a, at a more granular level, I think there's, there are some benefits that we're conferring on other people. So, okay, this is kind of bogging down. Quick question, just curious, uh, favorite Christmas movie of all time? If you had to pick one? I can't start. Elf sucks. Light it on fire. That was hurtful, I think. That you know, to, that, to, I, particularly I think to Dave, maybe. You, you notice that his name is Ross Green and not Ross Gray because there is no gray with Ross. Good point. No middle ground. Okay, so Ross, what's your favorite Christmas movie? And if anybody says Die Hard, I'm leaving. Die Hard. I knew it. See, she didn't leave. Not yet. Scrooged. I like Scrooged. Scrooged. Yes. That's a great. That's a great answer. Yeah, I have it, seen that. I watch it every year. It's not Christmas until I get to watch it. I make, nice. you know, I watch it a couple times usually because it inevitably ends up on TNT. If you, well, these days I don't have cable anymore, so TNT doesn't matter. But I used to see it several times a year on in there. between showings of Die Hard One and Die Hard Two or something. Yeah, because <laughs> hey, hey, I've got a machine gun is exactly what you want to hear, like for your Christmas. Merry Christmas, children. Yeah. God, I, we had the Die Hard video game when I was a kid on the first PlayStation and. 
That exists? Yes. Oh, it was oh. lovely. Oh, my. God, we played it. I, I mean, if you could burn out a video Did you say game. it was lovely? Yes. <laughs> like, it was such a good game. It was so fun. Yeah, Die Hard is a great Christmas movie. It might, like, no. might be the defining Christmas movie. I like Scrooge just because of the different, uh, like, the different ways they handle the... The Christmas cool. Carol trope. I got stuck playing Marley in the school play in like fifth grade, so I Shocking. still remember all the lines. <laughs> wait, wait, but like Die Hard happens at Christmas time. You know what else has a Christmas scene? Mean Girls. Nobody says Mean Girls is a Christmas movie. Because it's not. It's Mean Girls. There's no Christmas spirit in that. You know, that's a great debate. If a movie is set at Christmas time, does that make it a Christmas movie? No. No. What? Like Die Hard, not a Christmas Die movie. Die Hard is a Christmas movie. Why? It plays Christmas music. Yeah, it plays Christmas music. It happens at Christmas. Oh, and I'm, honestly, I'm really probably talking more about Die Hard too. but okay. Like, okay. Uh, okay. But Die Hard, regardless, case. is a Christmas movie, yes. Carrie Lynn. Santa Claus is coming to town. Say that again, please. Santa Claus is coming to town. And, and who stars in that movie? Well, it's it's animated and it's it's narrated and sung by Frank Sinatra, so you Ooh. can't go wrong with Sinatra. Can't go wrong with Sinatra. No. Good one. That's pretty interesting. That's yeah. pretty interesting. You guys have interesting answers. Like I feel like there's like a handful of movies that everybody says, and y'all didn't say those. You know, um, everybody thinks I would say Elf, and Elf is a wonderful movie. I don't even consider that a Christmas movie. It's just about an elf. I mean, and he's he's a human, but he's still an elf. So that's not even a Christmas movie. The real Christmas movies are like Four Christmases with Vince Vaughn oh, and, and John Favreau. And oh, that what's Reese that? Witherspoon. Renee Zellweger. No, it's Reese yes. Witherspoon, Re- isn't Re- it? Re- I was Reese like, Witherspoon. Re- no, it's a Reese Reese Zellweger. I think is her name. Who am I? No, her name is her name is Reese Witherspoon. <laughs> I sound like my mom. No offense, mom. If it's you the one to married to Crosby from uh, Parenthood. Kristen Bell. Yes. I love her. She's and really Dak cute. Shepard is the guy's name. Dak Shepard. So He's got the worst he's, tattoo no, I've ever so seen. No, he's so cute. Yeah. Okay, so Four Christmases, is that your pick? I love Four Christmases. It's not It's not like a great movie, but it is hilarious. It's Vince Vaughn doing his Vince Vaughn bits. And, and his brothers, his brothers that beat him up all the time, yeah. and they have like cage wrestling is at John Christmas Favreau time. Is John Favreau in that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He eats the chicken wings. Again. Yes. And That's he's like putting him in a headlock or has him in the scissors on the floor. And his wife says, his wife who was in Eastbound and Down says, oh, I haven't seen that move in a long time. <laughs> wow. I need to see that one again because I've only seen it a couple times. Okay. So my, can I say mine? Oh, I thought you already did. I didn't say mine yet. Um, well, that's all the time we have. For wait, the- no. I get to say mine. Yeah. Okay. Sure. My favorite. I. It's really a tie. It's a three-way tie usually, but I'm going to go with just my top two because I don't want to waste your time too much. They're sappy. I love, love The Family Stone and Love Actually. And they both make me cry, and they're kind of sad, but they're so good. So those are mine. And The Family Stone is with that really witchy-looking woman from Sex and the City. and she Sarah plays, Jessica Parker. She plays like she, she her character. Her character is disgusting. Is, yeah, it matches her looks perfectly. Yeah. yeah, and then it's got Claire Danes. And is Luke Wilson in that? Luke Wilson is in it. So is my spirit animal, Diane Keaton. Yes. Coach. What's his name? Craig T. Nelson is yes. in it. Yeah. And that other dude and that other dude. It's really so charming. <laughs> It's charming and lovely. I, I adore it's that movie. It's some dudes and the witch from Sex and the City. And my spirit animal, Diane Keaton. I do love Diane Keaton. We could have an entire Pendulum podcast episode 
Just don't die in. Do you want me to get her on the show? After Billy Squire, well, of course. Well, I wanted to update you on Billy Squire. In the last week, um, I've reached out to him. And as you know, he and I are pretty good friends because I bought a lot of his records in the 1980s. You're the one? I yeah, am. like three. <laughs> so we're working on getting Billy Squire onto the Pendulum podcast, so stay tuned on that front. Can't wait. Hey, then, Billy. <laughs> hey. Hi, Billy. Hey, Billy. Hey. hey. Do that. Do that from Wayne's World. Hi, Wayne. Hi. Perfect. And I think that is a great time to end our <laughs> podcast. Thank you for joining us for the Pendulum Podcast, brought to you by Pendulum Land Services, LLC, a full services right-of-way acquisition company dedicated to the integrity of the right-of-way industry. Visit them at PendulumLand.com or on Twitter at PendulumLand. The broadcast was produced by Right-of-Way Consults, LLC. You can reach out to your resident experts on Twitter at Relo Kristen, at Right of Way Ross, at Right of Way Dave. Thank you, Carrie Lynn Hirsch, for joining us. See you next time. May the force be with you. Oh.